0: Let's get rolling. It's seven o'clock here, seven o two. Wanna respect everybody's time here. All right, praise the Lord. Father, we're just grateful as always to be able to come and think about you together. And we're thankful for the body of Christ. We thank you, Father God, for the members that are represented here, Lord. Thank you, Father, for teaching and showing us how we fit together, how how we flow, Father God, the joints, Father, and the marrow, Lord. We praise you and thank you for the life, ultimately, that is Jesus and the Spirit of God that flows in every single one of us. And we thank you and praise you, Father God, for that flow tonight to bring forth a spirit of revelation and, and knowledge in, in wisdom and the knowledge of you, Father God, to open up eyes, Father, to open up ears, Father. Thank you for good soil that the word of God will be received and be engrafted, Father, and produce some 30, 60, and 100-fold return. All glory and honor unto you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going to continue on here. On the subject of Marismos we've actually we're actually just kind of postscripting some some uh, subject matter after we talked a little bit about the Word of God for several weeks. Hello uh, how to get how to receive revelation from the Word of God, how to approach the Word of God and uh, so it's good to talk about what the Word of God actually does in our lives. Uh, you know after you learn how to use it, how to approach it, what does it really do in your life? And this is one thing that I just, I really, uh, uh, it seemed right to me to go ahead and cover a little bit of this. This is actually a teaching that could, we could probably spend weeks and weeks on, honestly. Um, it's Versus just a couple weeks of just kind of hitting the highlights here. And that's the subject of merismos, which is a Greek term that refers to the dividing into pieces Uh, so that you can be able to see what those pieces are and be able to make a selection for those pieces based on what's God and what's not. I mean, let's just, let's just put the brass tacks, get it down to the brass tacks. That's it. And how does that happen? It happens by the Word of God. And I told you that, you know, to start this whole teaching out, the golden text is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12, or verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful. And is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we talked about that this part of the scripture, piercing even to the division of, piercing to the division of, that is, comes from the Greek word maris, or marismos, which is marizo and maros, which means to separate or divide into parts. And then we see... Two things put together. We see three couplets. We see soul and spirit. We see joints and marrow. We see thoughts and intents of the heart. And so we have to then by, really just by logic even, you don't even need revelation to see that we've got two two things here that are being separated. We see soul and spirit are being separated. We see that joints and marrow now are a couplet to be separated. We see that thoughts and intents are a couplet to be separated and the bottom line is that separating power is the word of god that's sharper than any two-edged sword and so we talked a little bit about why that separation is important well the bottom line is we see that the soul and spirit are the first things that are brought up that need to be separated and soul and spirit for so many christians is one and are one and the same I don't think that we really have a good functional understanding of the difference between soul and spirit. You know, we are created in the image of God, a triune being, three in one. We're spirit first. We have a soul. We live in a body. God is three in one. We call him the Trinity. He exists three in one. Each part not additive to the total, but each part equally being like one times one times one equal one. Each part being equally God, as much God, and as much a person as the other part. And all three together are God. Okay? We are made in his image exactly like God. I mean, to a degree. and being. Three in one. We have a spirit. We're made spirit first. And if you look at how we were created, we were created apart from all other things that were created by one action. Can anyone tell me what it was? In terms of how, if you look in the creation event, in the first couple chapters of Genesis, we see God talking about creating all the animals and all the plants and, you know, throwing out all the stars in the sky and separating the waters from the land and all this kind of stuff. But what was was the one difference in terms of what God did with man when he created him that he didn't do with anything else? That's right. He breathed into him. And it says in the Hebrew that man became a living soul or nephesh, which means it's the same basically from a Hebrew perspective as the Greek word pneuma, which is translated spirit in the New Testament. Same type of thing. That is, and pneuma means a air, a current of air, a blast of air. The pneuma is the spirit. That's what God breathed into us. He breathed into us spirit because he is a spirit. That's what Jesus told the woman at the well. You know, time is coming, it's now to come that they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is a spirit. And so we are created spirit first. The problem is, is that when man fell, his spirit consciousness waned to little or nothing. And his soul consciousness came all, came completely to the forefront. Whereas before there was a balance. Before it was sp- with the spirit leading the other two. I mean, you had the spirit, spirit as the preeminent being, you know, essence of who the life of that man and woman were at the time, the soul following in order behind that, and then the body, most certainly behind that. But but when the fall came, then what happened was, is the spirit died, being separated from God, and then the soul came to the forefront. And ever since then, it's been a soul-dominant life that man is just born into from a natural perspective. He's born into this soul being the leadership, being the focus. The soul being also comprised of three things, the mind, will, and emotions. You know, you've got an intellect, your ability to reason. You've got a will, your ability to make a decision. And you certainly have emotions. You know, emotions are things... Let me say something about emotions right quick. I think a lot of times from a religious standpoint, we kind of try to take emotions and we want to group them with the flesh. We want to group them with the things that aren't necessarily godly. That's ridiculous. I can look through from from Genesis all the way to the end of the Bible and see a God full of emotions. Amen or oh me? I mean, I've seen what you talk. It talks about God is a jealous God. God is an angry, talks about God being angry, his anger being kindled. Talks about him being grieved. Don't grieve, grieve not the Holy Spirit. You see Jesus emotion, uh, full of emotion as a man. Everything from anger, I mean, it, uh, what does it take for you to have the energy to take a whip and not only once, twice, or three times run through the temple and run money changers and people out of there. He Was that some emotion? Was he unrighteous in that expression of emotion? No. No, he sinned not. We know he was tempted in every way, but sinned not. That's what the word says, talking about Jesus. And then yet Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. What's the thing he does there? He cries. Jesus wept. So, I mean, we see the gamut of emotion in Jesus' life, you know, even with his inner circle. I think a lot of people look, and it's almost kind of like they divorce the concept of of closeness, of relationship, You know, from Jesus, but Jesus had an inner circle called the disciples. He didn't have the same level of relationship with people outside that inner circle he did with those twelve men, right? And so, I'm just saying that you know, do you think that they experienced the fullness of Jesus' humanity? Maybe unlike a lot of people. Well, sure, certainly they did. But did Jesus sin in the concept or in the process? No. The Bible is very clear about that. So I'm just here to tell you it's okay. Emotions are fine. Your emotions are a part of the image you've been created in, in in God's likeness. I mean, you're, you're supposed to have emotion. You know, I mean, they're, they're a, they're an integral part of your created being. The problem is you're not to be ruled by them. That's where the rub comes in. Not to be ruled by emotions. The emotions are to come alongside you to help you in situations. But they're to be in the proper order, and that's where things go arise, when the emotions lead you, okay? An emotion ruled life. Anyway, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's important to understanding the soul, because the thing about the soul is it wants to be recognized, it wants to be in control, it wants to be the thing that, you know, has to be cultivated and has to have the attention given to it and so forth. But just as much as you understand and are comfortable with the concepts of educating your mind, of developing your intellect, your reasoning ability, of developing and maturing your ability to make good decisions, that's your will, and even coming to the place that you have good control and are able to leverage your emotions in a mature manner, just as much as you develop yourself in the soul, and even more so, you need to develop your spirit. Your spirit man or spirit woman, your spirit person is, is actually more real and more alive than what we're looking at right now. Because why? Because it existed before your body and soul. God knew you before you were born. That's what, that's what the psalmist said. You knew me in my mom's womb, but he even knew us before because he called us before the foundation of the world. Well, how could that happen he did it in the spirit of the spiritual thing and so the reality of who you are spirit first is much greater than who you are as a soul and who you are as a as a fleshly being and so it's so important to to reverse that order and get the proper order spirit first soul then body And it's, it's not that way now. It's, it's, it's like 98 to 99 point something percent soul and body and then the spirit maybe get, make up the rest of it a lot of times for the average Christian's life probably. You know, some people make a lot, make a little bit more from a spiritual standpoint than that. But we have, and I'm not going to stop teaching the importance of learning how to develop your spirit man, your spirit woman, who you are. First, in the image of God, and the part of you that's recreated and born again in the image of God, after His likeness, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, and is just 100% like God and equivalent in substance to Him. How can I say that? Well, because it's a righteousness thing, it's imputed to you, it's a gift, it comes by grace. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the gift of righteousness comes right along with it. You know, we talk a lot of times from Matthew 633 perspective, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, what about his righteousness? That's a, and his righteousness if you read the rest of that scripture. Well, righteousness is a spiritual thing. It's not a soulless and fleshly thing. It's a positional right before God that we have that is a spiritual reality. And so, why am I saying all this? Because the issue is this, folks. The hope that we have internally, the righteousness, the realities that we have that are spiritual and that we see in the Bible, okay, as it concerns us positionally in the kingdom of God, seated at the right hand of God, in Jesus that's a spiritual position. That's not one of the soul. That's not one of the flesh. I'm not with Jesus right now. I'm sitting right here before you all. But yet the word of God says that we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places in Christ. High above all principalities and powers. And all names that can be named here and below. You know and above. How, can, how is that the case? It's a spiritual position. Jesus said too whenever you pray. Pray like this. And he said, pray to your father who is in heaven. So that that's a spiritual position. You know, that's one that you make a decision from a soulless perspective. I'm going to do this. But then you allow your spirit to access that potential. To leverage that potential in prayer. But yet the problem is, is that we stay restricted to the soulless realm. And that's a limited, such a limited facet. It is. It's just so limited. And here's the problem. Here's the main issue with it. You know why? Because doubt and unbelief are not a spiritual issue, they're a soul issue. They're a soul issue. Temptation, not a spiritual issue. Soul issue. Do you see what I'm saying? The importance of being able to understand who you are, spirit, soul, and body, so that you can then, by the word of God and the spirit, be led into an ability to distinguish between the two is as important as your ability to be able to, to endure temptation, to be able to make it through, not just make it through hardship, but overcome through hardship. It's, an, it's as important as you being able to, to leverage the realities of the spirit, okay, uh, in terms of what Jesus has accomplished for us, whether it's healing, whether it's peace of mind, whether it's prosperity, and then most, even well beyond that are the things for us to be able to receive the grace and move into the anointing and the things that we do in order to, to bring the kingdom of God and manifest it here in this earth. The kingdom of God that's within us. Jesus said it's within the kingdom of God's within you. Behold, you know, John the Baptist, when Jesus was coming, said, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, it's not just at hand, folks. It's when Jesus showed up, the kingdom of God is within us now. After Jesus, that's a spiritual thing. That's not a soulless reality. That's not a physical reality. That's a spiritual reality. And the spiritual dimension is outside the dimension of our soul and physical existence. And so what that means is for you to to access that, you access it by the thing that lives and operates and touches that realm, and it's your spirit. That's how you access it. And But yet here's what we're doing. We're spending hours in prayer from a soulless perspective, trying to leverage the spiritual matters. We're spending hours, you know, um, doing things from a, a legalistic perspective. Whenever the reality is, we're seated with Jesus at his right hand. In supreme authority on high, the right hand represents the authority of God. But that's a spiritual essence. And if we don't pray from that and live our life from that position, and the only way you can do that is by the Spirit, then you're doomed to a limited product. Right off the bat. That's how important. That's why it's so important to understand the difference between the spirit, soul, and body. That's why it's so important to be able to, to know how and to, to use the process that God has set forth and, most importantly, the tool God has given us to be able to separate those out. Because the thing is, fear, temptation, doubt are all a soulish thing. I'm going to say that again. Turn over to Mark chapter fourteen. I'm just kind of I'm kind of b-boxing here <laughs> a little bit. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to bring a couple things out. Let's look at Mark chapter and I said Mark chapter fourteen. I'm talk, I'm, I'm sorry. Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine in verse fourteen. Mark nine fourteen. There's my 14. Listen to what this says. I didn't plan to say this at all, but I'll tell you what. I feel the anointing to move into this for just a few moments. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. So we see a picture now of the disciples. We see a bunch of other people, onlookers, and we see religious people. Okay? The church of the day, if you will. All of a sudden, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. Well, who did they see? They saw Jesus and they knew Jesus. Anytime Jesus was involved, something could happen because they'd seen it before. So that's why they get all excited because there's a problem here. They need they need a remedy. See, that's the problem. I think a lot of times we're looking for a remedy and not a solution. A solution, a a remedy and a solution are two different things. A remedy just does what it, it it just does what it needs in order to get over. It's like giving an aspirin to a headache. You know, to take care of a headache. Whenever the underlying reason for the headache might be something a lot bigger than just a momentary blood pressure or focus issue in your head. You see what I'm saying? The solution though is to heal whatever the issue is that's causing the headache. Y'all see the difference? They're always looking for a remedy. Out of the crowd, one man answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Wherever it it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. But they couldn't. So here the man's looking for, he's looking for a remedy for his son. He, he, he goes at least to the disciples because Jesus isn't available. He goes to the to the disciples and they could not work a miracle in this, in, in this child's life. He replied to them, Jesus replied saying, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought him to him when the spirit saw him. It immediately convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming on the mouth. And then Jesus stops here. And honestly, I have to sit here and think to myself, really? So this this little boy falls to the ground and he's going in convulsions. He's foaming at the mouth. And Jesus stops and asks a question. (laughs) Have you ever wondered about that when you read this passage? I mean, my soul, my mind just doesn't, that does not compute. Because you know what I think I would do if I was Jesus would be like, Demon, you go in the name of Jesus, be healed. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and let him just sit there and convulse and foam with the mouth and all this stuff, carry on and go on, you know. At least that's what I think that I, the way I would respond. I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't all feel like that would be reasonable? But instead, he's going to talk and uh, stop and, and talk with this guy a little bit while this is going on, you know. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father, from childhood, he said, and many times it's thrown him into the fire or water to him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can question, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Oh my goodness! We need to stop and, and consider what's just been said here, because it seems like it's a it's it seems like it's a, a po, diametrically opposed. I do believe, help my unbelief. And what we're talking about here is is really a marismos experience. That's what we're talking about here, because on the one hand he's speaking belief from a spiritual perspective, which is where it counts. But on the other hand, he's speaking unbelief from a soulless perspective, which is where it doesn't count, from a faith perspective. And so, and we'll explain that here in just a little bit. So then it says, Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible, if you can... And if you look at the Greek from where that's translated, it actually is talking about if the power that's available can do this. In other words, it's not a question of the power available to 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 meet the need. It's a question of whether you can believe. That's the question. See, the man questioned his ability. Do you know with God... It's never his ability that is brought into question, should be brought into question. Amen? Yeah, with God, all things are possible, right? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But he's saying it's not just all possible. He's saying that it's possible to them that believe. To them that believe. So it's not an issue of God's power. It's never an issue of God's power. It's never an issue of God's mercy. We know that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. We know that He delights in mercy. That's what my that's what my Bible says. I don't know about y'all's Bible. But that's what my Bible says. He is not a God that's that He is a God that's long suffering, not short suffering. He is a God that wishes that none should perish, but all should come to saving knowledge of Him. He is the one that's actually more patient than the farmer, waiting for the fruit to, to the whole harvest to, to come to, to fruition before it get the sickle comes. Not that we he misses one kernel, right? That's my God. I believe that's some of y'all's God out here, based on some of the reactions. Okay, so we see what happens here you know immediately the father boy cried out i do believe help my unbelief and when jesus saw that the crowd was rapidly coming together he finally stopped asking questions that's the greg version <laughs> he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it you mutant deaf and dumb spirit i command you come out never in him again then it came out shrieking violently convulsing violently then the boy became like a corpse a lot of people thought he was dead. Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood up. And then, of course, we see a tremendous thing that can be preached on for a while in terms of what Jesus talks about and how why the disciples failed in their attempts to, to deliver this boy. Okay, so, so let's get back to verse 24. Immediately the father boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Here we see a perfect example of marismos because what ha- what is happening here is the word of God Jesus incarn Jesus is the word of God incarnate he is that's what John chapter 1 says the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us the word capital w well that's exactly what we see here the word of God is brought into the situation with this man we see that and we know that faith comes only by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is not just any word, it's not the words on the page written on the page. It's not just the words that you might hear that sound good. It's the word that is spoken to you that you understand. It's the communicated word. It's called Rhema. It's work the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the work rhema of God, the communicated, the the word, the message received, understood. That's a rhema. The message received, understood. You know, you can read the word a hundred times the same passage and it sounds marvelous to your mind. Oh, my goodness. When you hear some of the words beautiful, it's the beauty, the truth and the, the beauty of truth is a wonder to behold from the intellectual standpoint in the scriptures. But it will avail you nothing unless you understand it from a spiritual standpoint. Unless it's received and understood from a spiritual standpoint. Why? Because illumination can only come to your mind by way of revelation through your spirit. That's the only way it comes. You can get, um, you can get sure you can cram your head full of all kinds of knowledge, just like you do down here at this institution, about anything you want to study about. You can cram your head full of all kinds of Bible knowledge, but not a bit of that knowledge means anything if it's not revelation to you. And do you, let me go so far as to say this. The Ramas and revelations to me, me, mean nothing to you. In helping you, unless they become rhema and revelation to you. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. So, and we know that it takes faith to manifest the spiritual realities into the natural realm. It takes faith to transcend the dimensions into the spirit and manifest the reality that's in the spirit to become a reality in the natural. That's what. That's the actions of faith. That's exactly what it takes. Because that's the question you would ask: Is well, if I'm a spirit and my spirit touches the spiritual realm, then what's the connection? I mean, how how does all this work? Well, the problem, the issue is you have to develop your spirit to receive and hear from the Spirit, Father God, the Holy Ghost, and have a word about whatever the issue is you're believing God for. Whatever it is you need, the word of God come to you. Rhema, come to you. Revelation, understanding, the message received and understood spiritually. Then it illuminates and brings understanding to your mind and faith is born. That's the process of faith. That's how faith is born. But faith cannot come without hearing the word of God. That's what the scripture says. That's not my words. That's what the word of God says. So if you're not going to apply yourself to listen and, and hear the word of God, if you're not going to avail yourself of the word of God, forget it. Forget it. Cause you're not going to be able to have faith born in your, in, you're not going to be able to have faith laid in your life as a foundation. Cause faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So here we see the word capital W. The word comes and the word confronts the situation and the word delivers a message. And what was that message? Everything is possible to the one who believes. See, he, he, the, the message that the, that that man received and understood, the message that that man received and understood and became illumination to his soul is the realization that it, what, the issue didn't lie with God, it lied with him. It was his issue, so something needed to change from his perspective, not Jesus' perspective. You see what I'm saying? And so, what was it that needed to change? Well, what needed to change was he his perspective needed to change. He needed to see the situation differently. He needed a a, a paradigm shift, where you're looking at it from a different perspective. Oh, I didn't see that before, and that's exactly what happened. Because he, we see him say, because it says immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And I've, this is thus saith Greg now, that it seems right in my heart, that it's as good as him saying, I, my spirit man, my person, my inner person, I do believe and lay hold of this. And that's where the, the activation energy is born for faith. But help my reasoning, help my, my soul man, my mind, will, and emotions to overcome the unbelief. Do you know, I've, I've heard from many people that I have great respect for, faith teachers and so forth, and they all agree in this. And that is this. You can have belief in your heart and a storm going on in your head and your faith will work. You can have belief in your heart. And a storm of confusion going on in your mind, and as long as your resolve is here, faith will work. Faith will can happen. Can be can be leveraged in your situation. That is why it's so important to have an understanding of difference between soul and spirit, so that you can make your 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 deposits. You can make your withdrawals from the spirit. Not from the soul. Because the soul is where confusion is at. The soul, confusion is an intellectual realm issue. It's a reasoning realm issue. Doubt is a reasoning realm issue. It's not a spiritual issue. It's a reasoning realm issue. So guess what? If you can get over this storm and get grounded into here, then all this doesn't make any difference. That's what the word of God seems to show to me here, particularly with this man here. Do you think in the twinkling of an eye that that man's storm of confusion and and bewilderment had changed? No, and I think that's what's born out in what he says here, "Help my unbelief." I think he's talking about this part of his area of his re, of his uh believing, not this part. That's just, thus saith Greg, it seems right to me. You prove that out by the Holy Ghost inside of you. See, what that seems, see if that seems right to you. Because then we see the miracle take place. And we know that Jesus manifests those miracles and the power is manifest because of what? Faith. Because of Faith. It was always, your faith has made you well. Behold, I've never seen so much great faith in my life, talking about the centurion believing for his servant. I mean, just all this stuff. You know, it's faith, 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 faith. You know? Okay, so there, I think, is a perfect example of Marismos in action. Because the Word of God comes, and it separates the two for you to be able to grab hold of the lifeline of the Spirit and and be pulled to shore you know be pulled to the be pulled to the boat hallelujah praise the lord isn't that awesome folks we don't have to overcome the frailties of our mind in our energy and just sitting there and going you will believe uh, stop that confusion uh, emotions you're tearing me up because what you have to do is, is ground yourself back to the Spirit. And you know, I can I can give you example after example of the Marismos experience, and I haven't even got into talking really about what how that happens. Let me give you another example. How about Jesus in the garden? To me, that's the greatest example of Marismos. If you ever seen Marismos at work, in other words, the Word of God. Being, being brought to the situation in order to separate out the soul's will from the spiritual, spirit's will and direction so that you can make a choice for the spirit because that's where the life is at. It's Jesus going, Father, if this cup can pass from me, that's the soul. I I would, I would like for it to pass from me. (laughs) Can you imagine? It said that he was under such a soulless stress and torment that he sweat as drops of blood. That's a physiological response that's been proven by science to show that people can get under such stress that literally they can sweat and have capillaries break and blood ooze from their sweat pores because they're under such intense sweat. That's exactly what I believe happened with Jesus when it said he sweat as drops of blood because he was under tremendous stress. For what he was fixing to face. And I've said it probably dozens of times and I'm going to say it again. It wasn't because he was looking at the physical torture and death that he was about to face. It wasn't that. Because there's many, many other people that have been crucified. In fact, he was crucified with two other guys that day. It wasn't like he was the first one to break the matrix in crucifixion. There's many other people that were crucified before Jesus. Many other people, you think of other people being whipped Before Jesus, oh, yeah. Other people have been uh, tortured, had their beards pulled out, spat on, cursed, everything. Oh, yeah. Many, many times. So it wasn't that Jesus was setting a precedent from that perspective. It was the fact he's fixing to be separated from his father. It was the fact that he was fixing to actually literally become the reprehensible thing that causes the father to have to go somewhere else. That's it. He was about to become sin itself. And I think his soul could not comprehend that. He was working through that because guess what? Yeah, God knows as we're known. Yeah, God is Alpha and Omega. Yeah, God knows the beginning from the end. But guess what? Jesus, when he came down in here, he did something that God had never done before, and that was separate from himself. Now, you got to show me some other scripture to tell me that's not true. I've never seen any parts in the Word of God that said that said God had separated him from himself. But yet, that's what was fixing to happen. And I think that's why. That's, that's safe, Greg. I think that's why God, Jesus was under such stress. Because guess what? The stress is not really about what you know. It's about what you don't know. That's where stress comes in, right? Where anxiety and care and worry... If you know about something, why are you getting worried about it? I don't know about you all, but I don't get worried about things I know. If I know how things are going to turn out, good or bad, you know, that's one thing, but what about, it's, it's, it's the, it's the concern for what you don't know that really becomes the anxiety issue, right? That really becomes the fear, the driving motivation of fear. How's this going to turn out? What's going to happen here? But yet you can see Jesus here. Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. That's the soul. That's the suke man. That's his life that he has a right to make a decision for. But nevertheless, let it not be according to my will, but your let your will be done. That's the pneuma. That's the spirit. So he's so we see the separation right there. Boom. Separating into the pieces. So he starts out, there's a separation there, but nevertheless. Why? Because I think what happened is, is when his soul would get under that torment, he would come to the place to where it would be like, ah, if there's just another way this could happen, Father God. But then what would happen is, is the inner man of him that had been built up and trained in the synagogues, even before the people that talked about the very prophecies that he was going to have to fulfill in terms of things like, things that even would talk about the fact that he would be beat to disfigurement that he didn't even look like a normal man. I mean, I'm just talking about things like that that he knew pertained to his life would well up with from within sight of him and drive him to the course and maris most of that experience and drive him back, give him an anchor to take him back to what he knew he was sent to do. Nevertheless, your will be done. And then a the second time, father, and I think it would just, it would build again. And well, then he'd have to go in between and go back to his, his inner circle and say, boys, what are you doing? You're sleeping. I need some help here. My soul is is tormented unto death. And he's talking to his disciples, you know, the three that he took with him. He said, boys, can you not stand here with me an hour here? Just pray. Then he goes back off by himself and he goes through it again. He builds up and the anxiety and the fear and everything tries to come upon him. And he comes to the place to where then his suke comes out. And it's like, God, if there's any other way. And then again, this spirit man within him that had been that had 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 faith born and had had the revelation and the rhema words of God brought to him through all the prophecies and things that the Spirit of God conveyed to the rea- to him the realities of what he was sent to do would then come back and anchor his soul, but, and bring him back to a place of nevertheless not my will but your will be done. And then a third time, man, that's Marismos in its finest hour. To me it is. Suke Numa. Suke Numa. Having that separation. And I think, I believe, thus saith Greg, because the Word of God doesn't bring it out, but I believe that the, that, that the life and the body of the reality of God's will in Him that had only come by way of the Word of God, had only come by him applying himself to the word of God and prayer and and the spiritual matters that had built this thing inside of him from a spiritual perspective that could be the ability to make that separation and for it to be his compass to get back on, to stay on course. Even though the magnetic storm that would cause his compass needle to go like this from a solace and suke perspective, he would then have to come back to the spiritual perspective. It would straighten back out. And then it would be storm, and then back out straight again. Did you all see that? So God intends that we live our life from the spiritual man, the pneuma man. The word spirit is translated from the Greek word pneuma in the New Testament. The word soul is comes predominantly from the Greek word suke, or a lot of times it's with an I, so like psyche. I think a lot of people can relate to that. That's the soulish man, the mind, will, and emotions. We're to live our life from the spirit man. That's what we started this whole thing out, talking about, the importance of knowing who we are first, spirit, of developing and training ourselves first, spirit. Of reversing and getting in order the, the correct order of things, spirit, soul, and body, instead of soul, body, and then spirit being dragged along in the process. <clears throat> and we talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talked about that, the, the fact that that's a very, that's a very, uh, essence of, of, you know, of temptation is, it's a soulish thing, and being able to be, uh, to make that choice Between, from a soulless perspective, fruits that seem right, both of which are lead to the same thing, and it's death. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the bottom line is, God said, don't eat from it. Whether you think that looks like a good fruit, or it looks like an evil fruit. No one's gonna, in a right mind, is gonna pick an evil fruit. My goodness. Do y'all see that? No one's, no one's gonna go up to a tree and go, I'm gonna pick that old rotten, fungus-ridden thing right there and eat that. That looks good. No, they're going to pick the thing that looks the juiciest, that looks the healthiest. The bottom line is they're both produced on the same tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, how do we how do we stay away from that? Well, we stay away from that by having our lives most by the Word of God. But we talked about the importance of understanding that it is there is a fierce difference between the two. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter two is a, it, it lays out so much of this in verse fourteen in particular. The natural man, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And I told you all that the natural man here comes from the Greek word "sukikos" man, or the "suke" man. So your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, it's not going to receive the things of the Spirit of God. Try though it may. It's not going to, why? Because it's going to be foolishness. And we talk, I, we sit there talking about faith. Faith is the most foolish thing you can think of from a soulless perspective. No, no sense whatsoever to believe in things that you don't see, to expect and have confidence for something that you have no evidence of. The suitcase man said, seeing is believing. That's the suitcase man. So to say that we're to focus, like Paul said, on things that are unseen because those are eternal, don't focus on the things that are seen because those are temporary, is completely opposite of that. Completely opposite of what's lo- what logic and reason tells you. Why? It's foolishness to it to your suke man. Foolishness. Because it's a spiritual thing. It's, and that's what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says here. Okay. So let's talk just a little bit here. Many people think about the promises of God in their life. You know, you can look at the Word of God. You can think about the Word of God that's come to you. Maybe it's come to you through something as powerful as a vision or a dream. Maybe it's come to you through a prophetic word confirming something God already put in your heart. And it's very strong, and you're galvanized from a perspective of, this is the plan of God for my life. You know it. And it's, and it's grand. It's awesome. And you know, we talked about such a man that had a promise like that, and his name was Abram. And we talked about the, uh, uh, what a tremendous, uh, thing he'd been given from God and how God had manifested himself to him over and over again as Abram trusted him and kept himself applied the way he knew how in worshiping and seeking after God. And God kept confirming and, and giving him more and more substance of, of confirmation for that promise. But yet the years waned on, didn't they? It didn't happen like two weeks later. It didn't happen two months later. It didn't happen two years later. It didn't even happen two decades later. That seems like a long time to me, I don't know about you, to be stay, to stay hooked up with something. Why? We're talking about a spiritual thing here, not a soulless one, not a physical one. But yet we see that story as a perfect example of our lives because the same things occur today that has occurred back then. We are suffer under the same potential for frailty that Abram suffered under. And that is to lean back on the suke man. In 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 reasoning and under and in your ability to try to figure out how God's promise might need to be worked out in your life. And we see Abram do that. We see Abram allow something that seemed like a good possibility. You know, the way that God you know, this seems likely that God could work his promise this way. And it resulted in Ishmael, the results of which we're still seeing today. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. You know, God loves all men equally. He sent Jesus for all men the same as He sent Him for anyone else. But at the same time, God honors His word, too. You know, regardless of whether man honors it or not, God honors His word. He's not a man that he should lie. And when He's given a promise to somebody, that's what's going to manifest. It's not going to be man's spin on the promise. <laughs> And that's what Abram allowed. And we see what happened. It resulted in Ishmael. And it was not the promise of God manifest in his life. It was not Isaac that was meant to be brought forth from his own loins through Sarah. And the same thing happens today with us. And to me, you know, I think that's one of the greatest evidences of a soul-ruled life. People want to say, well, how much do I really live from the soul? How much do I live from the spirit? I would say to you, how many Ishmaels do you have in your life? How many Ishmael cars, you know, have there been born? How many Ishmael, you know, houses? You know, how many Ishmael careers? How many Ishmael, you know, relationships? I can go on and on, folks. You want me to keep going on? How about Ishmael ministries? I mean, come on now. I mean, there are, there are folks, there are men that stand today in front of house ministry that don't belong there anymore than my dog. They haven't been called there. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not disrespecting the minister. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? What I am saying is, is just bringing light to this same issue. The same path around the mountain that many, 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 many men of that generations have proven out before and have beat down to the core of the earth because they walk around it the same way so many times. They don't seem to learn the lesson that it's it is you let God do the work through you. And it's a spiritual it's a spiritual substance and it's a spiritual reality and it's a spiritual engagement and it's a spiritual essence first before it's anything else. And that can only come by the working of the Word of God to Marismos, your life, as you come to those decisions. And as you come to the crossroads to where if you go to the left, it's Ishmael. If you go to the right, you're continuing on the path to the promise. Then you come to another crossroads, and, and, and it's again, you go to the left, and it's Ishmael. You go to the right, and you're on the path to the promise. See, it's a divergence, and how do we get there? How do we make the, the decision for the right way to go? It's the Word of God. That, that sharper than any two-edged sword. And you know, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a little bit of, re, uh, of additional re, of revelation on that scripture. If you look and do a word study on that scripture, actually the word, uh, two-edged sword comes from the word two-edged comes from stoma. And that is, is literally the the word that means mouth. And so, really, you could take a take a take a, take a an interpretive position on this that is sharper than any two mouth sword. Because guess what? It's not just the word of God that's been spoken to you and that you understand, but it's your speaking that word out. So it takes two mouths. To energize the promise in your life. It takes the mouth of God to deliver the promise, and then it takes the mouth of God to confirm the promise over and over and over and over again. And to agree with the promise and to support the promise in a heart of faith. You see that? We see Abraham did, did that, and, or Abram did it, and people say, well, how do you say that? He said, because he believed God and it was credit to him as righteousness. That's what the word of God says. And it wasn't because he believed God and God looked upon his heart and saw his belief. It's because he unstated it with his mouth. See the same thing in Jesus' life. We see the same thing in Paul's life. A two-mouth sword. How cool is that? So we've got to learn to be patient and allow the working of God's promises in His timing and by His methods. Marismos brings separation to two lives. Shining the light or illuminating them for what they are so that we can make a choice for the spirit, the pneumicide, the spirit of God's life in the matter. It takes each life separating it so the covenant of God can be experienced. And to me, one of the, uh, the most awesome, you know, testimonies as well in the Old Testament is in Genesis 15. Of the story of Abram, whenever that promise was confirmed to him and the covenant was ratified really at that point in time was it, from a soulless perspective. And it, and it was it was brought to an anchor unto unto to uh, Abram's soul. And it's the time whenever, you know, God, you know, Abram was just at a time he needed further. He needed further substance. And, you know, God is good to give us that. God knows what we need, folks. He's not, he did not just throw us all down here and put us in, and put circumstances in our path to see how we're going to perform and and him get a thrill out of seeing our reactions. He put us down here and has circumstances as a context for, for us to live and move and operate and work the promises of God out to be over, to overcome through them and to prove him out in the process. That's why, that's why we live so we can prove him out and be the objects of his affection. Through the whole process. Hallelujah. And in this instance, and I invite you to go to read it sometime, but in this instance, we know that God directed Abram to go take a number of animals. And he took those animals and he separated them into half, perfect halves. He cut, the, he cut that those that sheep, cut that heifer, he cut those things in half, and he laid those pieces opposite, diametrically opposed, where they're exactly mirror images of each other. And he laid them uh, opposite each other. He kept the birds whole. And it says that, that he put those pieces out, did exactly what God told him to do. And it says through a process of time, it says that that Abram had to literally fight the birds off those pieces. The birds came to take away. That sacrifice, the birds came to defile that sacrifice. The birds came to challenge his his resolve to obey God. And so here they came and here the birds flew and and Abram did everything he could to keep the birds off his pieces right to the place to where it said darkness fell. And I tell you, it says darkness fell to the place that it was a horror of darkness. I think that's what the King James says or certain translations. I mean, that's really dark when it's horror, you know. Have you ever found yourself in a circumstance that's horrible, that's dark? You don't see any light in this situation. Abram was there. Father Abram was there doing what God told him to do. Ha! Isn't that funny? So you're telling me, Greg, that you can be doing what God told you to do and you can end up in a horror of darkness? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think Jesus was experiencing when he was in the garden? That's a horror of darkness from a soulish perspective. (laughs) I guarantee you. Said by the Spirit, Jesus was led into the wilderness. You mean mean we could be potentially led in a place that all all we have is nothing but our belief in God in order to have our next meal? Yeah. It's happened to many forefathers before. You know? But yet what happened was the the darkness came, and then it says that, then the dawn. And it says that God confirmed the promise unto Abram. And he said, no of a surety. No of a surety. So through the, the process of Marismos, because we see that separation, that's what we're talking about. We see those two pieces being laid aside. Directly opposite of each other, that Abram cut as a result of the word of God. That's the action of Marismos in our life, to cut those pieces. And see, the thing about the soul and the spirit is they're so almost inextricably together. It's almost like they're so close together that you cannot understand the dividing place between them. That's why you have to have the Marismos experience with the word. That's why you have to have that sharper than any two-edged sword activity of the word of God in your life. Because they are very integral. They are very integrally twined together. And so we see that those two pieces were cut apart. But then what we see happen is, is whenever, after he had obeyed and he had executed the word of God, then we see the smoking pot, the burning torch come and go between those pieces. And that's represented, smoking pot's representative, I believe, of the spirit of God. The burning torch is representative of the word of God. That word is a lamp into our feet and a light into my path. Anytime you see the word light, that's the word. That's the truth of God. And a lot of times when you see uh, 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 the essence of smoke or of the glory, you know, cloud fill the place, that's the Spirit of God's presence. And so we see that it takes the Spirit and the Word together that would come between your spirit and soul to provide an illumination for where those two pieces are at so that you can walk along the pathway between them, which is that bloody pathway. There was blood between those pieces. And that blood represents life. And that life is where, that's where we're destined to walk. We're destined to walk as we're led by the Spirit of God in the Word through the process of our sacrifice unto God. And covenant is established in, through that. We see a covenant established as we have that Marismos experience. And what is covenant? Well, covenant is the certainty and the guarantee of everything that's God is yours. But everything that's a, that's God's is a spiritual matter. Everything that's yours is a, is a soulless and flesh matter. So, you've got to bridge the gap somehow. And that's, you've got to do it by way of, the, of a spiritual action. Okay. Let me give you a couple more scriptures for y'all to do some study and we're going to close. Romans chapter 8. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, Revelation here, in the, in, particularly in verses 1 through 17, Romans chapter 8, where Paul's conveying the need for the separation between the mind after the flesh and the mind after the spirit. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about the suke and the pneuma. The suke and the pneuma. He's talking about the part of your soul that gets renewed into your spirit. The part of your soul that is, that is already existent and right along with the law, the members of your flesh. And he's talking to church people here, folks. He's talking to born-again believers, folks. He's not talking to people that are unsaved. So when he's talking about people that are led after the mind of the flesh, you know, they're led into works of death, he's not talking about pe- about sinners that don't know God. He's talking to church people. He's talking to believing people here. Y'all see that? Go Go study that. Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17. Conveys the need for the separation. And it talks about how, how it's important. I mean, even the very first verse, therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Well, guess who, guess what part of you is in Christ? Your spirit. So the part of you and the truth of your, of no condemnation lies in your, with your spirit first. So, whenever you start feeling that guilt, whenever the condemnation starts coming, it doesn't come from a spiritual perspective. It comes from a soulish perspective because that's where all you know the the uh, memory and the seed of decision is at. That you've made bad decisions for things that you did that you shouldn't have done, and and the memories try to come back and haunt you. The memories try to come back and jerk you back to that place, you know, of unrighteousness to that place, uh, that fallen position. But the spiritual reality is there is no condemnation for you because the spirit man is who's in Christ Jesus. And then what you have to do, though, then is set your mind after that spiritual man. And that's called that's called a renewal. You're renew renewing your mind to the mind of the spirit, not the mind of the flesh. That's Marismos. And that only happens by way of the Word of God. Why? Because you have to have the, you have to understand and have the Word of God to speak to you about righteousness. You have to get into the Word of God and have God speak to you about, about your position in Him, about your rights in Him, about your covenant with Him. That only comes by way of the Word. And then the last one is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this is a real study, and so I I'm, saw I'm, I'm challenging you. I was going to try to go in and hit, hit some highlights here, but I'm not going to make it because we're over time. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you, you guys go and study these two chapters. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here's a real study in the practicality of Marismos. The whole chapter. And we see that it goes right on down through the chapter and ends with a scripture that many of us are very familiar with and quote all the time, but now we have the mind of Christ. Well, what mind is he talking about? He's talking about the mind renewed into the spirit. He's talking about the mind that is the spirit-led mind, not that after the soul, not the suke. He's talking about the Numa mind, if you will, the mind of the spirit. And that what he's really talking about is the, the understanding of our identity with, the whole, with God through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We talked about the, us being the temple of God the past couple Sundays. And the Holy Ghost resides inside of us. And And he says in this chapter, he said, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit within him? So too the thoughts of God. Who would know the thoughts of God except the spirit of God within him? And guess what? We're given. We're given the spirit of God. So if we have the spirit of God who knows the mind of God, then we have what? The mind of God. Is that, I mean, come on now, if we understood that, I think we might dance a little bit. Because what does that mean? What do you think that means to have the mind of God in a matter? Oh, my goodness. It means life. It means prosperity. It means joy. It means peace. It means deliverance. It means everything to do with God. It means love. Hallelujah. Unconditional. And it means to know as we're known. And that is to come to a greater knowledge of the fullness of him. And we're going to stop right there. So I challenge you to go read and spend some time in those two chapters. And those are talking or will bring some more essence of of Marismos here and practicality of it. So let's just close in prayer right quick. Father, thank you. Father, all things are possible to those that believe. And we declare that we are believers, O God, in your word. We're believers that whatever you say, you're going to do. We know your word does not return void. The word you sent, Father God, is going to do what you've sent it to do. And we declare that we invite the light. We invite revelation. And we invite the marismosing action of the word of God in our life. We invite that sword to come in and to separate out, O God, our soul from the spirit. Father God, to, 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 to come into our lives, Father, and to penetrate and to bring illumination, Father, to know the thoughts and intents of our heart so that we can go with the right, the right thought, the right intent, oh God, and not produce any Ishmaels. We just praise you and just thank you, Father God, that you redeemed us and called us by name. Hallelujah. And we're your children. And I just rejoice in that tonight and just thank you right now. Father God, for revelation to just continue, Father, to abound in these, Father, that are here tonight. That even when they lay their head down tonight, Father God, that their heart would instruct them in this. And the night's to come in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen.